Hello, and welcome to the Customer Conversations podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Nikki Albaz. Nikki is a persuasive copywriter and email specialist at Copy Hackers, who's written revenue-generating content for brands including Shopify Plus, Doodle, and Resident Home. She's an expert in using research to understand why customers buy and writing emails that make them do just that, and shared her research knowledge for PyCloud Institute, Bossitude Academy, and CXL. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to get nerdy about data and research. <laughs> I know we're going to dive really deep into uh, into all things research. Uh, really excited to get sort of very in the weeds, which is not always uh, not always something that uh, that is easy to do. Um, but for those who don't know you, what does it mean to be a persuasive copywriter, and sort of what does your sort of what does your work look like, um, sort of day to day? Good question. Um, okay, so it's kind of broken up into phases. So there's the research, and then there's the, this is not really a phase, it's more just kind of feeds into the writing, but uh, making sure that whatever you're doing is following frameworks and persuasion principles and, and stuff that gets people to buy and to think and to do. Um, and then there's writing, and then there's testing and optimizing. Um, so everything that I write and, and strategize in anything is based on both, you know, qualitative, quantitative research um, and just consumer behavior, persuasion, um, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and then sprinkled in underneath on top um, is kind of some creative, big idea, fluffy kind of stuff that's very hard to teach and talk about, um, but just kind of gets you're writing that like pizzazz that just hooks people in more. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm really curious. So the obviously persuasion is the goal, getting people to take action uh, and ultimately, I guess, convert, buy, sign up, whatever the, the business goal is. Who are the clients or the customers who you're typically writing for? Do you have sort of a, you know, a distinct niche in a particular industry or particular sort of subset of companies that you're, you're writing for most of the time? I think the like underlying um, feature that, that they all share is typically, not always, but typically um, monthly revenue models, um, you know, sub subscription models that either, so either software, um, software as a service, SaaS, or um, DSC brands that have um, these subscription packages. Um, just because when you have that kind of life cycle, there's so many emails that you could be writing. So I've seen that common thread. Um, but it's really just everyone can use email. So I, I have had, you know, solo service providers and course launches and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, I've decided just to go in with email versus to go in with an industry um, because it can solve so many problems and there is enough foundational stuff that it can branch out to so many different industries. Right. I think it's, it's really interesting that that's sort of the, you know, the area that you've decided to focus on. So I guess that before we get into, you know, the, the really deep research uh, focused part of this conversation, what made you choose email as that, that thing? So what first brought you to, to email? Were you writing, you know, copy for other mediums as well? Or were you like, what, what was sort of the path into being an email focused copywriter for you? Yeah, so I originally, originally started as a creative copywriter. So I was doing brand names and taglines and missions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I started getting really sick of clients saying like, well, I don't like that name. Or, you know, 
we like the sound of this one and, and just it not being data driven and and it was so subjective it really frustrated me a lot <laughs> um, so i started learning more about conversion copy um, so i started just yeah generalist conversion copy um, and i wrote an email to joanna weeb of copy hackers and she got sold in that one email and she said okay you're gonna spend 2019 writing emails and i'm like i am <laughs> and she's like yes you are and i'm like okay um so i kind of didn't take her seriously and i was like yeah yeah i'll just continue being a generalist because i was so new to conversion copy um and then like three months later she's like okay you're gonna write emails for my agency and i'm like okay <laughs> so once that happened there was no going back <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I guess that was one, was that a cold email that you sent? Um, so it was, but it wasn't. Basically, um, I was in a mastermind with her and she was telling us that one of the things we should be doing as freelancers is to be pitching people in our network. Um, oh, she, she ran this like um, 15K challenge, um, like 15K in 30 days challenge. Um, and none of us hit that uh, mark in that month. Um, 15 extra K. Um, and she said, okay, here's everything you did wrong and what you should have done. <laughs> um, and she was saying like, you should be pitching the people in your network, the influencers and, and all the people who like, why did none of you pitch me? Not a single one of you pitched me. And I was like, what? We can't pitch you. And she's like, yes, you can. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to pitch her. Um, so at that time, um, I have Nikki as a nickname and I was going by a different name by my full name. And I sent the email from Nikki instead of how she usually knew me, my full name. So she thought it was a cold email. She's like, I don't know who this person is. And I bought and sold. And she got in touch with me. And then she realized who I was. Uh. So it was a cold email, but it was a cold email. So I kind of play it like a cold email um, because she thought it was a cold email, but it wasn't actually a cold email. Like all the mindset stuff on my side of sending cold emails, I didn't have to deal with any of that. <laughs> Got it. But from her perspective, she, she had all the context in that email, didn't need to know who you were in order to be, you know, sold on, uh, on taking action, I guess. So yeah. from, let's sort of transition from, from there. You mentioned that you sort of were getting frustrated with creative copywriting and not being data-driven and not, you know, clients just saying, oh, I don't like that one, sort of seemingly on a whim, right? Uh, so what, is, what does it mean to be data-driven in copy? Right. Like it's obviously there's if you're you know doing finance or, you know, any number of other, I guess, conversion rate optimization on site where you're maybe looking at sort of quantitative data, you know, number of conversions versus number of visitors like that sort of obviously very high level. But uh, that's maybe where people are more familiar with sort of data driven uh, being uh, or data driven practices being used and sort of performance marketing practices. So what does it mean to be data driven in copy? That's a really good question because even in my head, I don't really think of customer interviews and reviews and all these things as data. Like in my head, they're kind of like the numbers, that's the data. Right. <laughs> Whereas this stuff, this is just like the fun stuff that really, you know, gives the meat. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important distinction um, that there is a difference, but there's not a difference and they're both equally important. Um, so yeah, it's really just about understanding your customers. So it's getting qualitative data that can help you understand them so that you can sell better to them. 
Gotcha. And sort of where do you start? Uh, I know we've been talking about that we're in a, in a Slack channel together. We've been talking about uh, sort of how to use voice of the customer data uh, or examples of good uses of, of voice of the customer data. So in order to be able to, to use voice of the customer data in your in your writing, you need to go get it, right? You, it's typically sort of by its nature, it's not, you can't just come up with it yourself. Um, you have to go and uh, find it, whether it's talking to customers or, or some other some other means. So how do you typically go about sort of starting out that process of, of understanding your customers? So it's interesting that you mentioned the Slack channel because I posted a comment there and I was like, hey, I didn't realize that I do that, but I do that. <laughs> um, basically what I've, come to realize, and I'll, I'll try to do both for all companies, but it kind of skews this way, that new, uh, newer, like less established brands that don't have a lot of customers, you'll get, I find that I get the best data from customer interviews. And then companies that not necessarily newer, but just have a lot of customers, so they have a lot of reviews, um, and uh, you know, also skewing more towards D2C brands uh, for reviews. Um, just because software reviews are not as, uh, like people get a little more technical versus more emotional. Um, so for more established brands or just brands with a lot of customers, I get a lot of value from customer reviews. Um, and that's a recent shift that I've noticed. I used to be like diehard customer interviews. That's where you get your best, best, best stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, I just started getting really into customer reviews too. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting the sort of that split, and I think it, like like a lot of things, it's all of one and none of another is probably not the best approach, right? It, it, which, whichever way around you do that, right? Um, and that sort of everything is contextual and sort of most appropriate depending on the situation. Um, which it's interesting that you mentioned sort of for earlier companies that don't have a lot of you know user generated content, whether that's reviews, whether that's social comments, whether it's you know other people um, sort of talking or like competitors uh, like talking about their product, um, then interviews are sort of a, you know, the fastest way to get to enough data, which uh, I'm always curious about this. We mentioned, you mentioned sort of qualitative data, not, you know, thinking of that necessarily as data. But one of the questions that I always get is, okay, so if it's not data, like when we're looking at numbers, we can say, you know, this is statistically significant enough. Well, this is, you know, we looked at this, this sample size. One of the questions that I get a lot is, well, how do you do that with qualitative data if you're only doing, you know, five interviews, 10 interviews, 20, whatever number of interviews it is, um, how do you know that that's re representative of, uh, of your whole customer base? If you have, you know, in D2C brands case, they often have, thousands or tens of thousands of, of customers. And I guess sort of a, a secondary question, does it matter? <laughs> um, that is a good question. I think because you're not talking to every single customer, you can't talk to every customer. There will be people that are buying your product that aren't your perfect fit, but they're still customers and they're still repeating customers. Um, so really, you can't talk to everyone. So when you, what's the purpose of interviewing? You're not just interviewing, just get data. You're getting, you're interviewing to get data to then write copy or define your marketing strategy or, or whatever goal it is you have. So if you're writing a landing page for X type of avatar, then you only need to talk to 10 different people from X type of avatar. Um, so you might 
have made that decision wrong and you should be talking to Y type of people. Um, but, but yeah, you don't need everything and everyone always. So also, um, one thing I didn't mention was surveys, um, which that's kind of my like gut check for like, are we going in the right direction of, yeah, no, we should be talking to Y, not to X. Um, so that's kind of like my big numbers game kind of thing. And then you get just like more granular, more sticky details when you run interviews. Right. Yeah. I have been amazed actually running, running surveys, how sort of how the, um, how the depth of answer varies can vary a lot. Some people, even if it's open response, and I mean, if you're running surveys with no open response questions, please go and change that. Um, cause you're missing so much, but, uh, even in open response questions, some people will write essays just in a, in a text box and some people will respond with one word. Um, but there's, yeah, it, it is, I have been amazed how, how much depth and how much, uh, how much you can learn from surveys where you didn't actually have to spend any time talking to that person. Um, and I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you do, sorry, say that again. Um, no, I've just noticed something really interesting where um, the copy hackers surveys for, I, I typically work for the agency side of copy hackers, so just their clients, um, but occasionally I'll do a project for copy hackers itself. And because they teach about, you know, data and, and, and running surveys to get data, any of the responses, all the survey responses, you see the people like trying to write these essays and like these funny long answers and you're like that's fake like not fake but but like you were trying too hard or like that's really interesting or oh wow you told me your whole life story cool <laughs> so it's it's just interesting that comparison <laughs> um but yeah it's fascinating to see and it's it's not industry driven like it's not like SaaS people don't talk d2c people do it's the right. consumers that talk b2b people that don't um, it's really just all the different customers, like which ones do, which ones don't. It's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm really curious as I don't know if, uh, I know I would do this when I run a survey is we talk about sort of the difference between like, well, surveys being a gut check and interviews typically a way you get the deepest details, but one sort of trick that I've used a lot is sort of using surveys to qualify people into interviews or, you know, just an automated recruiting tool for the interviews that you ultimately want to uh, want to run. So I guess that's something that I, I certainly want to ask you about is, how, so if we know that interviews, let, let's say that it's a company where we think interviews is a good fit to, to learn more about their customers. How do you, what's sort of the first step to actually start doing those interviews? Like how, how do you get, uh, yeah, where do you start? How, how do you get people on the phone or how do you get people uh, interested in, uh, in doing an interview with you? Yeah. That's, that's always the tricky part, right? Like, okay, how are we going to have someone spend 20 to 60 minutes on the phone with me about a company? Um, so the easiest, easiest answer is incentives. You know, that's just like, it's not foolproof, by the way, which is really interesting because that's everyone's default is like, just pay them or give them a gift card and they'll come running. And it's totally not true, especially if you're talking to very busy people, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it does typically tend to work well. So that's always an option. Um, and then also, yeah, um, when you pre-qualify people through a survey, they're just kind of a little more committed to giving you the data, um, especially if you include a question like, um, you know, if, you know, can we, can we follow up with you? Because then they kind of already gave that micro-commitment of like, 
yeah, okay, I'll, I'll tell you more. Um, so um, that's always helpful. Um, but yeah, it, it really just comes down to what's the benefit for your customer? Why should they care? Why should they want to help you? Um, like what can you what can you offer them? That's not necessarily an incentive, but you know, do they just really like your brand and they want to talk to you? Do they want to give you feedback? Do they want to help you? Do they want to feel good? You know, what what are you giving them? Um, and just kind of framing it like that. Yeah, and the, how sort of, where do you start in terms of, I guess we talked earlier a little bit about, you know, persona X versus persona Y, and the, depending on the question that we're trying to answer or the question, the sort of gaps that we feel we have may sort of determine where to go, but sort of uh, operationally, like how are you sending those emails? Are you sort of just randomly picking people off a list and sending, you know, personal emails? Are you segmenting in an email tool? Like what's sort of typically the, the first step to actually send um, send those emails to get people scheduled. So best results that I've seen are when they come from like someone high up in the company. Um, so it's a personal email. It's not sent through an ESP. It's just, you know, one-to-one -one and it's, it's personal, um, which I could be writing the emails, but it, it feels like it's personal from them. Um, and then usually will tweak it to make it sound a little bit more like them. Um, so that's like another thing, like, oh, now they feel like they're really making a difference to the company because it's the CEO reaching out or the CMO or, or someone high up. Um, even if it's a third party doing the interviews, uh, which in my case it always is, um, it's always that like, you know, here's, you know, I'm going to hand you off to this person and it would mean so much to me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, um, just uh finding the people is yeah it's about the avatar so you know if it's you know people that were in this kind of category then finding that information from the dsp um is or, or the crm or you know whatever whatever way they have of tracking how their customers who they are what they do um that's typically how we will find them right are there particular segments that you sort of go to first like if you if you're starting working with a new company or a you know customer comes in saying, I don't, I need to know more about my customers. What's, what would be the first sort of group of people that you would, you would want to talk to? Hmm, I don't think I have a default. I think it depends so much on the project. Do you have a default? Uh, I, I typically go one of two places. I typically go uh, most successful customers, sort of however you define that, whether that's most, most active, if it's a SaaS product or, you know, highest LTV or, you know, uh, highest purchase, uh, highest sort of value, uh, or people who just signed up, right? Mm -hmm. So sort of the the recency people and the people who just signed up, not not always a purchase. It could be, you know, maybe it's just an email sign up, but people who are sort of, one is the most successful people hopefully are going to give you, hopefully they're the people that you want to replicate, right? So you can figure out what works for them, um, sort of understand that journey. Um, and the, the most recent people, just the highest likelihood of, having engaged people who will actually talk to you um, versus and somebody actually who, remember why they signed up. <laughs> exactly. Asking somebody, right. Yeah. Asking somebody why they chose to purchase this product in their busy day six months ago is probably not going to give you reliable data. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's always fun. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit sort of, I love the sort of the operational side of this. So once you've, you know, you've run some surveys, you've looked at some reviews, you've, uh, you've done some interviews, how do you translate that into actual copy? 
right? What are sort of the steps? Like what are the things in those, and let's assume that you've, you know, transcribed the interview. So you've, you have everything in your text that you've collected. How do you go from, how do you pull out the things that are most meaningful, the things that are actually useful versus sort of everything else? Um, and then how does that actually make its way into your copy? So I actually have a giant spreadsheet um, that has all the different um, like persuasion lever levers and, and, you know, consumer behavior triggers and all the different like pieces that play into the sales copy. Um, and I'll just, I'll just, it's, it's a manual process and I'll just go through the transcripts and okay, here's an objection they were just talking about. Here's a benefit they were just talking about. I just right. copy it into the piece and I'll do one for each customer that I interviewed and then I'll pull it all together into one sheet. Um, and then, yeah, as I'm going through the copy and I need a, an objection at this point in time in the email. Um, so that's when I'll start pulling pieces. Um, and it's so hard when you're doing all this manual work of pulling things in, which by the way, it sounds very manual and very tedious, but it's, it's a great review because after you do a lot of interviews, especially, especially if they're back to back, um, it just kind of all blurs together. So it's a great like re-immersing into you know, all the information and, and, and culling it out. And it's, it's, it's totally valuable. Um, but it's really hard to have that break when you're pulling things in and organizing it and not just like, can I please just dump this on the page? And like, wow, that's an email right there. I want to write it. Like now I don't want to <laughs> go keep doing this. I want to go for the copy because you'll, you'll get stuff so solid gold that you just like, you can't help yourself if you just have to write something about it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I know we talked about this in Slack. What's what is your favorite, uh, like all time favorite quote that came out of? And I don't need to mention brands or anything like that. But all time favorite quote that came out of, uh, you know, either an interview or um, a customer response and a review or something like that. Um, I liked when um, they were comparing their competitor to a toy, um, and they were basically saying, saying like, you know, I still use it, but it's a toy. Um, it's not something that I, and this was something that was very, enter, like it was an enterprise level solution and, um, you know, security was a big deal. Um, so it was kind of like, like, wow, that was crushing to call right. the competitor <laughs> a toy. Like you can't do that. Like security is a huge deal and you just call them a toy. It was like, that's, that's good. That's a good piece of, yeah, you know, we should use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so good. But I, like, I could go on and on, you know, like they were talking about how um, adoption across the company um, was so easy and they're like, they looked at it and they're like, it was black magic. You know, like <laughs> they, they thought it was black magic. They're like, how did you do that? <laughs> um, like, there's just, there's so, like, I could just go on and on. There's so many good, and like, you don't think of that kind of language. You don't think, you know, you, you could think like, okay, they were wowed by it. You don't think they thought it was black magic. Like that's just not how your brain works unless you're right. there experiencing it and you see that yourself. So it's just, it's incredible stuff. I love it. Yeah, I, it's, it is amazing how much easier once you've sort of trying to write from scratch versus trying to write from, you know, like you say, you just want to go write. Like you have all the, you already have all the content. Um, so, so you pulled everything out in this, this big, or pull everything from the individual interviews into, into a single sheet. Um, is that how, does that become a resource that you sort of keep referring back to? Does that get shared? Like how does, uh, sort of, cause it, one thing that I, 
uh, you know, talked to a lot of people about when they're doing these interviews is that it's not just a point in time, right? It's not just like, yes, this is, this was, you know, interviews were done in July, 2020 or whatever, but um, it, it's going to become an asset which you can build on um, sort of over time. So I'm curious from your perspective, sort of, do you refer back to that? Does that become, we talk a lot about like swipe files and copy, like, is that the way that you view all that, uh, that data or is you typically keep sort of swipe files from other companies or other examples separate from your, your voice of the customer stuff? 100%. I, I do think it's separate, um, but it's, it's a totally resource completely. Um, and I think they say that the data is valid for a year um, or, you know, until you make significant changes to your product. Um, and I find that it's still valid even longer if it's emotional, like intangible type of stuff, like talking about the competitor as a toy. That's not something that's going to change five years from now in, unless something really drastically changes in the market. Um, so, um, yeah, whenever I'm stuck for a hook or, or just like, I'm like, okay, we just ran Earth Day and Memorial Day and Mother's Day and Father's Day. And like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I just have no more ideas. Um, what am I writing for Independence Day? Um, I just, I open up that spreadsheet and I just, you know, and from the copy hacker side, when I'm doing copy hackers work, the, um, we have a, a research, head of research and a research team and they'll pull like, they're way fancier than my spreadsheets. They'll do like, you know, a whole deck of research. Um, and it's, it's a huge resource. Like we are always referencing it and, and like reminding yourself about stuff and also just like, oh, I didn't see that quote. There was one of my favorite customer quotes. Um, I didn't see until like six months in writing for this company. Um, like I just, I, I had never noticed because they had so many reviews and I hadn't read all the customer right. reviews. And I saw it like six months in and I'm like, where was this gem hiding? <laughs> so yeah, definitely using it all the time, all the time. Amazing. Amazing. So to sort of wrap this up and sort of tie a bow on, uh, tie a bow on things. What are the, what are the specific tools? You mentioned the spreadsheet um, and you mentioned, you know, surveys and personal, I guess, personal email. What are some of your favorite tools for, for actually doing uh, this research? And for somebody who's, you know, just getting started, these are t two totally separate questions, but uh, for somebody who's just getting started, uh, what's sort of the one, one piece of advice or sort of the, the starting point which you would give them? If they, you know, they want to get started with understanding their customers, what's the, the first thing, the very first thing they should do? Good question. I think the very first thing they should do is look at what their competitors' customers are saying. That will just give them like a good framework. But I think if they're ready to start talking to their own customers, I think there's a, a big fear of like, oh, talking to my customers, like that's really scary. What if I'm going to alienate them or bother them or they're going to tell me scary stuff that I don't want to hear? Um, so I think just like calm me down a little bit <laughs> um, and leading with curiosity, you know, like really treating them like people. Um, because they are people um, and just you know just being curious about and you probably are naturally curious about your customers anyway so just sharing that because people like to open up when they don't feel like there's you know judgment or you know any of that kind of stuff um, so when you lead with curiosity it calms you down and it also helps the customer open up too um, so just kind of like yeah, being curious, I think, is is your biggest 
like way to calmly begin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's great advice that it's sort of humanizing the whole process. It doesn't have to feel like a big, you know, a big ordeal, a big project. Uh, it's just another conversation, right? Like if you're a founder of a company or if you're, you know, you're probably talking to people all day, every day in some con- in some capacity. Uh, it's not going to be too different than, uh, than that to talk to your customers. Yeah, um, which reminds me that Help Docs is another place you could look for information and sticky language. And <laughs> <laughs> there's just there's no end. <laughs> right, yeah, there's, there's definitely, I mean, and content created both by, both by competitors, but I guess more importantly, customers of either yourself, either your own customers or your competitors' customers. Um, anytime that they're talking about, you know, the challenges that they're facing, where they're trying, their, their goals really, like, and what's sort of getting in the way of, uh, of achieving them. Um, so I guess to, to wrap up, uh, I'm not going to ask you the tools question again, but where should people go? Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's do it. What, what are your, your top tools? If you had to, you know, your, I uh, need to call it your research stack, but like, what are the, what are the tools that you're using today to, um, to understand customers and sort of keep track of, uh, of everything they're saying? Yeah, it's embarrassingly low tech. <laughs> um, so I like paper form for surveys. Um, I find that it's similar um, in function to type form where, you know, you could integrate um, and um, it's kind of more, not conversational, because um, I know type form is like, we're conversational. Um, but I find that it's, it gets more responses because you're, you could see everything on one page. Um, and I know that a lot of customers get frustrated that you have to, you know, they can't see how long it is and they can't see the next question and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, you know, it has great functionality, but it's just a little more user friendly. Also, that one line, oh, I can't handle that in type form. That's my personal. <laughs> Everyone always sets it to a one line thing instead of to a multi line. And then, like, you're writing this long answer, and like, you want people to write long answers, and then they don't because they think it's supposed to be short. <laughs> um, so, type form is great. Everyone loves type form, but I personally find more success with paper form. Um, and yeah, for interviews, it's just Zoom. Um, you know, you want to be on video so that you can see them and their gestures, um, and you want to be able to record. Um, in terms of transcriptions, um, it's very tempting to just use Otter or some other AI transcription um, because it's so cheap and it's so fast, it's just integrated directly. Um, but when you're doing interviews, you really want like real solid transcription that's like no mistakes. And you also even want the stuff like pauses and laughter and, and that kind of stuff to give you cues of like, oh, this is important, this is not important, this is, they're sad, they're happy, you know, just kind of those cues with your transcripts. Um, so, yeah, I think that's my stack. <laughs> Great, and yeah. Google Sheets, the spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, it, it is amazing that the, the barrier to getting in and, and doing this is, is really low. Um, and that sort of taking that first step, getting over that sort of fear of talking to customers and maybe hearing things that you don't want to hear is sort of the, the big hurdle to get over. <laughs> so, where should people go to, you know, to follow you, to find out more about, I know you have a, a job to be done, which we didn't talk about at all in this, uh, in this interview, which we get definitely talk about. Um, I know you have a, a job to be done, so of course, and some templates and, and that kind of stuff. Where should people go to find you and connect with you online? NikkiAlbuzz.com. Um, that's where you could, I don't know, sign up for my email list, um, get that, that template packet. 
uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then where I hang out, um, LinkedIn and Twitter, kind of different audiences, so different stuff. Um, I have more traction on LinkedIn. I'm a newbie to Twitter, so you're welcome <laughs> to follow me so that I could feel good about myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Great. Well, we'll link all those uh, all those things up in there, some of the, the other things that we've mentioned uh, in the show notes. But thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for joining me. Sure. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Hey, it's Stuart. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Customer Conversations podcast. If you like the show, like our guest, and especially if you learn something new you think will help grow your business, I want you to go to learnwhy.co slash join. That's one place to get all of the content we're putting out, including the podcast, guides and courses with experts in SaaS and D2C, and all of the content from our blog once a week. Go check it out, learnwhy.co slash join.